begin this brand new lesson series today that we are going to be in for the next several months looking at the book of James. And James is all about practical, everyday advice for what a life that follows Jesus is actually supposed to look like. Um, it is the one book in the New Testament that theologians consider to be what they call wisdom literature. Uh, now, there, are, there is wisdom in other parts of the New Testament, but in all of those books, Paul, in Paul's letters, in Peter's letters, John's letters, um, there's a lot of theology too. A lot of this is who God is, and this is, this is who Jesus is in relationship to God, and who he is in relationship to us. This is what the church is about. This is, this is uh, you know, why did Jesus' sacrifice, why did that redeem mankind? You know, a lot of theology there. But James is stripped down, bare bones. This is how a Christian should live their lives. And 30 years ago, when I decided to get serious about my faith, and I asked the question, okay, so what does that mean? How do I live my life if, if what I want to do is live a life that, that honors Jesus so that he will pour his power and his knowledge and his wisdom and his presence into my own life? I studied two basic things places in the New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount, which we just got done last, uh, uh, last fall, kind of going through a 15-week series on that, and then the book of James. And I'm, you know, I don't know if you've ever been reading through the Bible and you've thought, I don't understand what this is talking about. I don't understand what this means. Happens sometimes in the Bible. It won't happen much in the book of James. You'll read the book of James, you'll be like, I know exactly what that means. Hmm. How am I going to do that? That looks hard. You know, that, that's, that's what James will be for us. Uh, and today we're going to start off by looking at, the uh, or looking at the concept of we've got trouble. Okay, But before we get there, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about who wrote this book. Because uh, I posted a, I don't know, to call it an advertisement, whatever, on Facebook, talking about this new lesson series that was coming. And uh, what the book of James was about. And I, I just threw in, sort of, because I wasn't, I mean, I didn't even think about it. I just threw in this little phrase in there that said, uh, it's, it's a book written by Jesus' little brother, James. And I don't know if you read any of the comments that were associated with, uh, with that post, but there was a lot of, uh, a lot of questions about, is, was he really Jesus' brother? And, and other people are like, no, it wasn't. Jesus didn't have any brothers. And a lot of different things going around, right? And uh, rather than go online and, and start entering into one of these Facebook wars, you know, I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's not really us. So I just kind of took those, uh, those questions out, responded individually to those people. But um, who was James. Who was this book written by? This is how the book starts in James chapter 1 verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Okay, this is how the book starts. Um, but who is this guy? There are three Jameses that you read about in the New Testament. There's James, the brother of John. He's one of the apostles. He's, you, you read a lot about him in the Gospels. Uh, he is uh, sort of part of the inner circle with Jesus there. Um, then you've got another apostle named James, but you don't hear much about him other than just they kind of mention, hey, and then there's this guy, you know. There are a couple of the apostles that are like that. Um, and then you've got this other guy that shows up first in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Uh, 
In Matthew 13, verse 55, what you're reading at that point is Jesus has gone back to his hometown of Nazareth and he's given a sermon there at his hometown synagogue. And when he's done, the people are offended. And basically what they say is, who do you think you are talking like this? We know you. We know your family. We know Mary. We know your brothers, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and James. So we know that Jesus had a brother named James. Mark 6, verse 3, almost exactly the same story that Mark tells as Matthew did. Jesus has at least four brothers. One of them is named James. In John chapter 7, we read that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. As a matter of fact, they tried to stop him from doing what he was doing. They thought he was crazy. And uh, he didn't let them stop him. But it's kind of interesting that these brothers of Jesus's, at least while he walked this earth, they didn't buy it. They didn't buy the whole son of God thing, you know. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, eventually his ascension into heaven, and he sent his followers back into Jerusalem. He says, you go back and you wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And on that day, the day the church began in Jerusalem, in an upper room, the room probably where a few weeks before Jesus and his friends had celebrated the Last Supper, there were 120 people in that room. And in Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that up there in that room was the apostles, many of the other disciples, and Jesus' family, Mary and his brothers. So something happens between John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 1 that causes them to believe. What is that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, you've got to be like a detective sometimes with this stuff, tracing down all of these different appearances and, and when James shows up. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, the Apostle Paul is explaining to everybody different appearances that Jesus made after his resurrection to different people. He says, you know, Peter and the rest of the apostles at one point. At one point, Paul says Jesus appeared to over 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time. We don't know where that was or what was going on. We just know Paul says that happened. Paul says, you know, after everything was done, Jesus appeared to me, you know, to the apostle Paul. But he makes this really interesting statement. He goes, and he also appeared to James. And I don't know about you, but this is the James, right? This is the guy that didn't believe in him, that was like, nah, you're not the, you know. And then after his resurrection, suddenly he comes and he has this meeting with James. I don't know about you, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that meeting, you know what I mean? But whatever happens there, James is sold. James believes it, right? And he's there on the very first day that the church starts, and he ends up, well, he ends up staying in Jerusalem. He ends up becoming sort of like the lead pastor of the Jerusalem church. He becomes so influential that basically everybody asks his advice about anything that's going on in the church. And so in Acts chapter 15, it's, it's probably the most important meeting that ever took place in the history of Christianity. If you're not Jewish right now, you are happy this meeting took place because without it, we wouldn't be able to be Christians. But the Apostle Paul was starting to take the gospel into the non-Jewish world. And there were other Jews that were like, no, we can't do that. I mean, yeah, they can become Christians, but they have, to, they have to follow the law. They have to do everything that we do. And Paul was saying, no, that's nonsense. And other people were saying, no. So they had this big meeting, right? And all the movers and the shakers come together in Acts chapter 15. There's 
the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, other, other you know, powerful people in the Christian church, and James is there. Not only is he there, he runs the meeting. He's the chairman of the meeting. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that any meeting where St. Paul, St. Peter, and St. John are there, and none of those three guys are running the meeting, the guy that is running the meeting must be pretty impressive, right? And so that's who this James is. Um, now, some people will say, well, how do you know this James in Jerusalem, that that's Jesus's brother? Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul's describing another part of his life. And he talks about before Acts 15, before the big meeting, the first time after he is converted, when he goes to Jerusalem to, to meet with, uh, with the other Christians, I guess you could say. He says in Galatians 1, verse 18, he says, I met with Peter. And then he goes on, he says, but I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. That's the guy. That's the guy that wrote this book. The, the earliest book in the New Testament, most scholars believe, the first one to be written. And it is all about, here's how you live. It is written to Christians who are struggling with trouble and persecution like you couldn't even believe. I mean, they are losing their their homes, their families, their livelihoods, sometimes their lives, just because they are followers of this man named Jesus. And James writes to these people, and this is how he starts it out in James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Now, Pastor Jeff's already kind of mentioned this. It's like, let it be an opportunity for joy? What are you talking about? <coughs> Troubles and joy do not go together. But see, the earliest Christians would have disagreed. They would have said it has to go together or else you are never going to make it uh, as a follower of Jesus in this world. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. But what I want to kind of do today as we are uh, starting this lesson series is I want to just focus on these first four verses. And I'll mention one more thing. Um, on the lesson sheet today, you'll notice it has, you know, all the scripture for today. It has the points for today and everything. Then at the very end, it has the scripture that we're going to be going over next week. We're going to go through James verse by verse by verse. Today, we're going through one through four. Next week, we'll go through five through eight. Then we'll go through nine. You know, that's how we'll kind of progress. When I first started in my, uh, my trying to understand how to live my life with Jesus, uh, I started uh, memorizing parts of the Bible because uh, if you're going to meditate on it, if you're going to reflect on it, seems like you need to kind of have it in mind where you can bring it up and think about it. I memorized the Sermon on the Mount. I memorized the book of James. Uh, if you are interested, I'm going to post these scriptures every week. If you are interested, it's like you can memorize some of this stuff and, uh, or at least read it before you come back here next week so that you're kind of ready and have been thinking about it already. But uh, if you memorize each one of these short passages as we go along, in about three months, you will have a book of the Bible memorized. Whether or not you remember it after that, that's a whole other thing, all right? That's between you and God. But that's, some, that's, that's an opportunity that you have uh, as far as uh, the book of James goes as we move forward. But here, what I want to focus in on here is... How do we handle trouble when it comes our way? Three things that I think are important to remember. 
when it comes to how to handle trouble. And the first thing I guess I'd say is that James is saying expect trouble. Okay, expect it. Don't be surprised by trouble coming into your life. In James chapter 1, verse 2, we just read it, but I, I, I want to point this out. When troubles of any kind come your way, not if, not, this, this is an inevitability, all right? Troubles are like the waves in the ocean. There is always another one coming behind the one that just knocked you down, okay? As a matter of fact, I can tell, I know something about every single person in this room, and that is this. You are either going through trouble right now, you have just come out of a season of trouble in your life, or you're getting ready to head into a season of trouble. Aren't you glad you came to church to be encouraged today, right? But see, that is, it's, it's meant to be an encouragement. Jesus said it. The Apostle Paul says it in all of his writings. The Apostle John, the Apostle Peter, James, they all, with one voice, say the same thing. Don't be surprised. Trouble is coming. As I was getting ready for this lesson, I kept having this song run through my mind when I thought about, oh, we've got trouble. And it's almost like James is, is like, sort of like, but not exactly like, okay, the first century of uh, the music man's Professor Harold Hill. And if you don't understand that illusion yet, you will in just a second. Let's watch this. Now, Mars, I need some ideas if I'm going to get your town out of the serious trouble it's in. River City ain't in any trouble. We're going to have to create some. <laughs> Are you Mr. Dunlop? Yeah. Well, either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you are not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here, I say trouble right here in River City. Why, sure, I'm a billiard player. Certainly mighty proud to say I'm always mighty proud to say it. I consider that the hours I spend with a cue in my hand are golden. Help me cultivate horse sense and a cool head and a keen eye. Jimmer take and try to give an ironclad leave to yourself from a three-rail billiard shot. But just as I say it takes judgment, brains, and maturity to score in a bockline game, I say that any boo can take and shove a ball in a pocket. And I call that sloth the first big step on the road to the depths of degradation. I say first... Medicinal wine from a teaspoon, then beer from a bottle. And the next thing you know, your son is playing for money in a pinchback suit. And listening to some big out-of-town Jasper, hearing him tell about horse race gambling. Not a wholesome trotting race, no, but a race where they sit down right on the horse. Like to see some stuck-up jockey boy sitting on patch, make your blood boil, well, I should say. Now, friends, let me tell you what I mean. You got one, two, three, four, five, six pockets in a table. Pockets that mark the difference between a gentleman and a bum with a capital B, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And all week long, your River City youth will be frittering away. I say, your young men will be frittering. Frittering away there noontime, suppertime, chore time, too. Get the ball in the pocket. Never mind getting dandelions pulled to the screen door patch to the beefsteak pounded. Never mind pumping any water till your parents are caught with a cistern empty on a Saturday night, and that's trouble. Yes, you got lots and lots of trouble. I'm thinking of the kids in the knickerbocker, shirt tail young ones, peeking in the pool hall window after school. You got trouble, folks, right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. Now, I know all you folks are the right kind of parents. I'm going to be perfectly frank. 
Would you like to know what kind of conversation goes on while they're loafing around that hall? They were trying out Bevo, trying out Cubabs, trying out tailor-mades like cigarette fiends, and bragging all about how they're going to cover up a telltale breath with Sansan one fine night. They leave the pool hall, heading for the dance at the armory, libertine men and scarlet women, and ragtime, shameless music that'll grab your son, your daughter, with the arms of a jungle, animal instinct, masteria. Friends, the idle brain is the devil's playground. Trouble! Oh, right here in River City. Right with a capital P, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. We've surely got trouble. Right here in River City. Gotta figure out a way to keep the young ones moral after school. Now, where James differs from Professor Harold Hill is that he doesn't have to manufacture any kind of trouble that isn't really there because he doesn't have to. Trouble is something that is always, always there. Jesus said it in John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so you may have peace in me. In this world, you will have troubles, but be brave for I have defeated the world. And the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Now there it is again. Be very glad about troubles? How does, well, that doesn't make any sense. It will make more sense as we go along through the book of James. But basically, I'll just kind of give you a spoiler right now. What, what, what's going to turn out is that there is something about troubles that there's no, no other substitute to create within us the character and the qualities of Jesus. Without troubles in your life, you would never become a person of humility. You would never become a person who had compassion for other folks that were going through struggles. There is a sense in which you would never experience the true freedom that God expects you to experience. We'll, we'll keep talking about this as we go along. But that's why the writers of the Bible, Jesus, he didn't write it, but he's basically what the Bible's about, right? But he said it over and over again. Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote it, the Apostle John wrote it. Every writer in the New Testament says, troubles are coming, don't be surprised. Look at it as an opportunity for great joy. So expect them. Number two, uh, prepare for trouble. Uh, you, don't, you don't just say, well, I sure hope God gets me through it when it comes. You actually have preparation to do. Uh, in James chapter one, Verse 3, he says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. See, there's, some, there's something that only comes from the testing of our faith. Our endurance grows. Next, James will tell us what happens as our endurance grows, what that benefit leads to. James does this a lot. He does these things that are like step by step. He says, when it comes to trials, here's the first step, here's the second step, and then here's what it leads to. He's going to do the same thing in a couple of weeks when it comes to temptation. Here's how it starts. This is what happens next. This is what happens after that. And then if you don't do anything about that, here's where it's going to end up. And so James, is, is he loves this kind of stuff where he's talking about the sort of progressive nature of faith, either one way or the other. And so he says, prepare. Consider this an opportunity for great joy. Know that you are going to be tested. If you're going to be tested, at least you know, if you're not like me when I was in high school, I didn't bother studying if I was going to be tested. But most people, when they know they're going to be tested, they spend some time preparing for the test, at least if they want to pass it, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to our lives. Now, I don't know how often or how many of you liked those 
spaghetti westerns that Clint Eastwood is sort of the king of back in the 60s and the 70s. You know, he had the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you had, you know, for a few dollars more, a fistful of dollars. You had all these great movies, right? And the majority of them had kind of the same plot line. There was this band of desperados that were bearing down on the town, and the town was going to be destroyed, so they had to prepare. They had to get ready for these guys to come so that they could, well, so that they could survive the trouble that was rolling their way. Now, I was going to show you a clip from one of those old spaghetti westerns, but then I thought of a more modern spoof on those spaghetti westerns, and I thought that'd be more fun. Let's, let's watch this. <laughs> one of my favorite lines from movie history. And I, I know it seems a little schizophrenic. It's like the high culture of the music man and then the three amigos. But you know, if that's troubling to you, count it an opportunity for great joy, all right? <laughs> Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But you've got to prepare, right? And spoiler alert, their sewing actually works for them. Uh, but there are other things that James and the rest of the writers of the Bible, and Jesus says over and over and over again that we can do to prepare ourselves for whatever trouble happens to be coming. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says, So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. 
keep on doing what is right. And then over here in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So Paul is like, Paul is basically saying we've got trouble. Trouble with a capital T and it rhymes with B and it stands for the devil, right? That's sort of what Paul is saying. And when he talks about the full armor of God, um, it's sort of like a couple weeks ago, we talked about blooming where you're planted and about what it takes to do while we're waiting for God to unveil whatever future is coming. It's the same thing, what we should be doing as we wait for whatever trouble happens to be coming our way. We talked about the habits of highly effective followers of Jesus. Um, and these are things that men and women of great faith sort of have in common. They, they all sort of build their lives around these things. If you're following along on your lesson sheet, I've got them printed there, uh, mostly so that you can look at it and say, okay, how am I doing at this? Am I, am I practicing these habits in such a way that will prepare me so that when the trouble comes, I will be able to handle whatever comes my way? Now, <laughs> some of you are going, kind of looking at me funny. Yeah, I know. I had five habits two weeks ago. This week I've got six. You know, maybe next week there'll be seven. I don't know. But I doubt it. I think these six are going to cover it. Because as I was getting ready for this, this series on James, I was thinking, okay, do, does everything that James say fit into one of these five categories that I had given you back before? And I realized, even though prayer is sort of like, you know, well, of course we should be praying. It's like, I, I should probably put that in there so that everybody's like, oh, prayer, of course. I didn't think of that one. But that's, that, that one we'll be talking about next week. But these are, the, these are the habits, prayer, Bible reflection, practicing community, investing in others. Practicing generosity, developing sensitive calluses. And that developing sensitive calluses, that has everything to do with how you handle and respond to trouble and pain in your life and what that does to you. Because see, what happens is, if you're not expecting trouble, if you don't, if you don't understand what the writers of the Bible are saying over and over and over again, that trouble is coming no matter what, then sometimes trouble can absolutely crush you. And, and so Jesus says you need to be prepared for it, to be developing calluses against that trouble, but not to such an extent that you become unfeeling, that you become hardened to such a point that you are insensitive, uh, unable to react with the people in the world around you. Look at how Jesus lived his life. When trouble came, he, didn't be, he wasn't like, oh, good. Thank goodness for more trouble. I, I'm so glad that trouble is here. He didn't do that. But he also didn't go, oh, trouble? How, what, what's going, I don't know about you. That's what I spend a lot of my life doing. I'm like, hey, I'm doing what I, I, what I think you want me to do. Why is this happening to me? And it's almost like I can hear God saying, read the Bible, Ed. Don't be surprised when this stuff happens. When trouble comes your way, in this world you will have trouble. What part of that do you not understand? And I'm not trying to be insensitive to those of you who are going through devastating troubles in your life. Okay, I'm not. But I am saying there are things that we can do to prepare in order to make it so that we are able to, well, and that leads us to the third and final point for today. Uh, after you have expected trouble and you've prepared for trouble, then number three, you stand before that trouble. Um, James chapter 1, verse 4. Remember in, uh, in verse 3, he says, 
When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. He goes on, he says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. I don't know about you, I want that in my life. I want to be strong in character. I want to be ready for whatever this world can throw at me. And the way that that happens, according to the writers of the Bible, is you expect it and you prepare for it, and then when it comes, you stand before it, all right? Now, that may seem strange. Well, what else am I going to do? You can run away, right? Now, I'm not saying that running is never the right option, okay? I'm not saying that. But what Jesus says is that there are some things that you just can't get away from. What he's saying when he says let it grow is basically... Don't try to get out of things prematurely that you need to go through. Sometimes the only way through something is through it, all right? Uh, as a matter of fact, the message paraphrase, this is exact same verse translates this, don't try to get out of it prematurely. Let it do its work. And see, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but there is, you can do all the preparation in the world, but until you actually experience getting through the trouble, with the training and the preparation that you have, have, have been, been getting ready with, you will never grow and become stronger. It's like Pastor Jeff was saying during the communion thought. It's like there is a sense in which when you are building your muscles, you've got to tear them down first. And then you've got to let them recover, and then you're stronger. Same thing with spiritual things. Now this word that is translated here in a whole phrase, let it grow, is a Greek word that is actually kind of unique. It is uh, the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. There aren't very many of those. They call them hapax legomenons. And what it means basically is just this is a word that is not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's a very strange word. It does mean, it means literally to stand, but not just to stand. It's like sometimes the, the Greek people would do this. They would take a word like stand, and then they just throw the, the, the qualifier hyper in front of it. And that's what this word literally means. James is saying, you hyperstand. And what that means is you do everything that you've been preparing and getting ready for, the, the, all of the things that you've been doing to prepare, once the trouble hits, you, you hyperstand. You keep praying. You keep practicing Bible reflection. You keep practicing community. You keep investing your lives in others. You keep doing these things because that is the only thing that's going to get you through it. it was, this word was used by the Roman legions. I don't know if you've studied these much. I love Roman history. And uh, the Roman legionaries would go into battle against overwhelming numerical odds. And they wouldn't even think twice about it. Up to 10 times as many barbarians could be coming against them. And because of, of their preparation, their discipline, and their, uh, they felt like they could stand before these hordes, right? And so they would, when the, when the barbarians were coming at them, they would get into their formation that they had prepared for, that they had trained for, and their, their generals would shout out at them, hyperstand. Do everything you know you're supposed to do. Rely on your discipline. Rely on your training. And they would stand together, and they would, I mean, almost universally, they would defeat whatever enemy they were coming up against. James says to you, when troubles are coming your way, you hyperstand. You don't let it knock you down. It always reminds me of uh, going to the beach. You know, I grew up in Southern California. We went a lot. Sometimes the waves were so big, they would just knock you down and roll you around. 
One time when my son Jonathan was like four years old, he was pretty small, we went on vacation to Florida. And we were there in Florida. Um, we went to Typhoon Lagoon. It's a water park there in Disney. And there was, we were doing all this other stuff, and somebody said, hey, there's a wave pool over there where they kind of send waves at you. And so I was like, that sounds cool. And so me and Jonathan and my father-in-law, stepfather-in-law, Jack, uh, he, we all went over to the, to the wave pool. And the waves come about every five minutes or something over there. So we walked over, and we're standing in water, you know, about up to our waist. Well, it was up to my waist. It was like Jonathan's neck, you know, and, and Jack's shorter than me. He's about 5'7", so it's like up to here on Jack. And we're standing there, you know, just kind of waiting and talking. Jack's got his hat on and his glasses on, you know, and he's just having a good day at the, at the water park. And all of a sudden, we hear this boom, and this humongous wave comes up from like 100 yards away, right? We're not in the deep water, but that's where it starts big old wave, right? And it's coming this way. And it's knocking people down. And I mean, there wasn't time to get out of the way. So I grabbed Jonathan up and I kind of, you know, tried to plant my feet so I could stand before the wave, right? And when it comes, I lift Jonathan up as high as I can and the wave's knocking me all over the place. Somehow I held him up, right? But I'm a big dude. I'm tall. I'm heavy. I've got some, some mass to me, right? And so the wave didn't do to me what it did to Jack. I get done. Jonathan's fine. He's like, oh, let's do that again. I'm like, no. No, we are not doing that again. Not with you in the pool, right? I went back and enjoyed it myself by myself. But I put Jonathan down, and I look around. Jack's nowhere, right? All of a sudden, he comes up from under the water like this. His hair's all over the place. He's lost his glasses. His hat's gone. I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, here's your hat. And I'm kind of looking around. I see some dark on the floor. It's his glasses. I hand them back to him. And I just, I, every time I, I do this lesson, and I think about this passage of scripture, that's what I think about. James says, hyperstand, get ready. Once you've done everything you can prepare for, then you stand and you, you keep doing the things you already know to do. Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. That's Paul's advice. Once you've done everything that you know to do to stand, then stand. Don't try to get out of it prematurely. Addicts understand what this is like. I'm just going to do something so that I'm numb and I don't have to think about or feel or deal with any of this stuff. James would say, don't do that. Don't do that. You, you, sometimes the only way through things is through them. Is it easy? No. But see, when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be brave, for I have defeated the world, what he's saying is not that you won't have trouble, but that you won't have to go through it alone. You get to go through it with the one that turns crucifixions into resurrections. And he will do something beautiful. He will make something beautiful out of your future no matter what hard things have come in the past. Let's say it that way. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes I look at these things that the Bible says. I'm like, yeah, easy for you to say. Hyper stand in front of uh, the, the face of terrible troubles and, and, and trials. You know, why should I listen to you? James, in AD 62, after 30 years of being the pastor of the Jerusalem church, after having watched for years his people in his flock being killed for their faith, 
James is hauled up to the top of the temple by the Jewish authorities. They tell him, you either renounce Jesus and tell your church to reject him too, or we're going to kill you. James gets up there and says, it's all true, folks. He's coming again. And when he does, he will judge the living and the dead. And the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders throw him off of the top of the temple. But he does, he's, he's, he's dying, but he's not dead. And so he does what he has been preaching for all of the years that he has been at that church. He hyperstands. He gets up on his knees. He keeps doing what he's been doing to prepare. He lifts his hands to heaven. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the Jews lose their mind. They, they finish the job with rocks and clubs. And that's who wrote this book. And he would say to you and to me, when troubles come your way, prepare and then once you've done all that you can to prepare, then stand. So stand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your son and for the life that he lived and for the fact that he didn't just say, do what I say, but instead he came into our world and entered into our trouble and our trials and our pain. Lord, teach us to be like him by practicing the habits, by putting on the full armor of God doing everything that we know to do to stand, and then when trouble comes, to stand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.